Jane. You know, sometimes we have guests in for special music. Sometimes we just have special music with all of us. So I appreciate Jane's ministry week by week. How do you like that? It's good. We've gathered as God's people. It's a beautiful fall day here in Michigan. But what makes it powerful and life-changing is the presence of God, which is His promise. The call to worship I've taken from one of the historical books. It's a declaration of praise. I've set it up responsively. So I'll start and you respond as we read together First Chronicles chapter 16. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, God our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all of the people said, Amen and Hallelujah. Do you remember from last week? Amen and Hallelujah. Uh, we had a great time last week with Pastor Jeffrey, and it reminded me, um, men like Pastor Jeffrey and Pastor Florencio, I share both, we all share a common humanity with them, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, we share as well a common adoption. Uh, I had a pastor friend in Alexandria, Louisiana, he used to tell me, Pastor Bill, I think you're a brother from another mother because we got the same heavenly father. And so I think and pray for Dr. Franklin, my friend in Louisiana, or Pastor Jeffrey, who was here last week, or Pastor Florencio, who will be here in just a few hours with his service. Uh, God is doing a great work across the world and across history as he draws people to the cross. This is a Sunday that we typically connect with uh, Reformation. It was on October 31st. Uh, Martin Luther said, ah, forget Halloween. I'm going to stand up for the gospel of grace. He nailed the 95 Theses to the door there in Wittenberg. A great moment in the history of God's kingdom. So let's stand and we'll sing this morning. It's hymn number 586. The words are attributed to John Calvin, who's kind of our theological mentor. So let's sing as Brother John wrote.
Amen. Have a seat if you would. Always a joy to welcome those of you who were worshiping with us on site, as well as those who, whether through live stream or recording, uh, let us join you in your space and time. We're thankful for the way we've been able to gather together as God's people in that way. Uh, for this morning, at the close of the service, we will again have our opportunity for coffee, uh, goodies, chance to fellowship and spend time together. Uh, at 10.30 in room number one, in the uh, classroom number one there near the f uh, north entrance, uh, we'll gather for my usual follow-up. As part of that, we'll have a budget roundtable, a time to, in a smaller group, be able to ask questions, get information about the budget or questions about the sermon and follow up with those sorts of things. So I uh, want to make all of that available to you as you have need. Uh, second thing, next week we're looking forward to handbells. So that's going to be special music for us and good things to go there. The week after that will be the box celebration and a few weeks after that our Thanksgiving Day service. So a lot of good things going on. Another thing I hope to roll out by next week, a number of you have said, you know, aren't we ready to bring the name tags back? And so I think we'll be able to get folks name tags. I know all of you know everybody else here. It's me that needs the help. Okay. <laughs> you can blame it on me, but let's, if we're going to be a welcoming and encouraging people, uh, the prospect of greeting one another face to face is a good thing by name. A couple of slides. You've seen the one for the secondhand sale. This is a time to be receiving those things. Um, Christine usually says, you want to do your spring cleaning early. I want to tell you about my life. I'll finish my spring cleaning and bring some things this week. So you can also be way behind like me. Um, this coming Wednesday, we will have a Wednesday evening dialogue group. We'll be led by the Holland Bach Society. Uh, two presenters will help us meet J.S. Bach and the music that was so formative that flowed uh, from his inspiration. So that'll be a great time. Come to dinner at 5.15. Uh, an hour later, we'll gather downstairs, and they'll have some music and visuals for us. Uh, Scott Vandenberg from Holland Christian High. That helps us prepare for the upcoming um, Sunday, which is um, the 13th. Now, I also have for you out there some handouts that you can pick up. You'll find those at various places. If you go somewhere on a regular basis that has a bulletin board that is kind of a public opportunity, why don't you pick one of these up and put it there so folks know. You can be used to let people know about that. There's also a card, and it'll talk about the Sunday service, the Wednesday dialogue, and the following Saturday is an important gathering uh, with Mary DeWitt where she does a two-hour grief share, how to survive the holidays. So, if there's someone in your community or family or a circle of friendships, feel free to take one of these cards, extend an invitation to them. You know, you can be a part of the gospel moving forward in their lives in that way. It's as easy as saying, come and join me. You'll come for the music, but you'll stay for the wonderful people. And hopefully along the way, see the encouragement of the gospel of God's grace. It is good to be together. Um, you know, God has rescued us, it says in 1 Peter, from the kingdom of darkness and brought us in to the kingdom of his light. 
He gives us birth, and then over time, he works his will in us. That's what these three questions from the Heidelberg Catechism have reminded us of uh, through the course of this month. Uh, Let's do again. I'll begin with question number 88. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. What is this dying away of the old self? To be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. What is this rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. Uh, Our hymn is number 168. We'll sing, we'll pray, and then I'll invite kids forward for our video. Hymn number 
Amen. Have a seat. And let us turn to the Lord and pray as his people. Father, we gather this day and we're reminded of the beauty of the earth. And yet, as we sing, we're reminded too of its brokenness and of our need for a savior. So let us see in the beauty of the, the autumn, the opportunity to be reminded of a greater, true and perfect beauty that is yet to come. Fill us with great hope, we ask and pray. Make us people of the gospel in the midst of a world of confusion. We pray for Heart of White Ministries that with all the expressions of your grace, we might see your kingdom go forward. Thank you for function as they gathered Friday night, an opportunity to connect with middle school kids and extend the love of Jesus. We pray for Neighbors Plus. We think of our children's ministry on Wednesday nights and at each class. We think of our missionaries, many in closed countries, serving in creative access manners. We ask you, Father, to continue to be our encouragement and hope that we might live out the fullness of your gospel. With that in mind, we pray for Pastor Aaron, who'll be preaching at Watershed this morning. We pray that there, that gathering would be filled with your grace and power. We pray for Fusion and Pastor JB as he brings the word later this morning, that there among your people, you would be present. And for Pastor Florencio, Mission, that'll meet right here in the sanctuary in just a few hours and make clear the gospel of your grace in the Spanish language. And thank you for our new friend, Pastor Jeffrey, and for Angel Community Church, who met last night in Muskegon, that they are your light in that community, their Jerusalem. We stand with them and pray. You've gathered us, Father, as a part of this community called Celebration. Thank you that you've bound us together, not simply in a space, but bound us together by your grace in real relationships. The needs are great, and so I want to take a moment. I need your heart and your prayer. We want to pray for the, those who are sick or unwell in some way. Take this moment of silence and pray for those you know in your circle of relationships. This will be our silent corporate prayer to the Father for those with health needs. Father, thank you that you are capable of hearing every voice, of seeing every face we've prayed for. And so we pray for those who are grieving, Father. What a season it's been. We thank you for ministry like Grief Share, but we know that your resurrection, Lord Jesus, is our firm and final hope. And so we pray for those who've experienced loss, whether recently or months back, that as they work through the journey of grief, your Holy Spirit would be their comfort. Pray for those you know. And Father, we pray in this time that your voice, Good Shepherd, would lead us and guide us to green pastures, to calm waters, even through the valley of de death and the shadow. We pray for discernment and guidance 
for all the challenges and confusion in our world, even as there's more than we could ever hope to understand, help us singularly hear your voice and obey. Pray, if you would, for discernment and guidance, a particular issue, a particular need for you or for others. Father, we pray, too, for those in authority over us as your Scripture uh, enjoins us. We pray this week in our regular cycle for a Hardawike Council, for leadership in this local church, our elders and deacons, for staff leaders. Help us to not only hear the, the cry of your sheep, but to hear your voice, Good Shepherd, that we might make known to your people the mind of Christ and together might press forward in your care and guidance. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us to pray and using the scripture and the words of Scotty Smith, I would pray this way. As Isaiah said in chapter 58, spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Jesus, for the rest of our days in the world, we will either spend the life that we have on whatever we want, or we will invest our life, our time, our talent, and our treasure for something better. Help us to see that, Father, to know that we will either be spent by pursuing trifles, trivialities, and trophies, or we will spend ourselves on things that won't last, efforts that matter little and are more about us and signaling our own virtue. Or, option three, we will invest ourselves in living out the implications of the gospel, offering to you and to the world the first fruits from our life of your kingdom on earth and serving the least and the lost here in our midst. Empower us, we pray, by your grace to invest our life in your kingdom's work in whatever setting you have placed us, whether school or work or family or play in all things, even as you transform us, move through us to your glory and to the blessing of others. Father, you've taught us to pray in the words that the Lord Jesus gave his disciples. So hear our hearts as together we use these words saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Uh, at this point in our service, we typically, I'm happy to gather any kids that want to be seated with me up front. We have a video uh, that kind of and captures the scripture verse for this time. Ah, good, I'm not going to be alone. And boy, I better have Mary Lynn join me. It's good of you to join me up here, ladies. I'm glad we could be together. Let's watch the video.
from the book of Judges? One was Samson. Did you see the guy who's wearing that lion suit and he pushed the columns away? Anybody want to guess at the other? You could, you're right if you think it's one of the judges. Do I? Gideon, who was uh, led God's, there we go. Miss Janet got the thing there. So um, we're thankful for these chances to uh, remember the full story. I wanted to give you that thing. We, you never get a chance to kind of watch an artist at work like that. And that was sort of interesting. So uh, let me take a moment, I'll pray, and then we'll move on to the scripture. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that in life together, uh, we live with the ups and downs. Teach us this day from the life of these judges that we might know and understand the fullness of your grace and power. These things we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen, amen. All right, wherever everybody's going, just head right on. Remember what we're doing, the big picture is that we are reading through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, but we're using a copy of the New International Version that kind of picks up some headlights, headlines to keep us moving through the storyline. We don't repeat a lot of the genealogies, uh, every one of the particular stories. So we're reading from Genesis to Revelation over 30 weeks or more. This week we're in what you would call the book of Judges. And before we get into Judges, I want to give you um, just a bit of an overview. How did we get the book of Judges? Well, um, Judges as a book covers about 270 years from dates approximately 1375 BC to 1105 BC. And I've got, this is the first portion of your sermon outline in the bulletin, if you want to follow along on some of these things. So it covers a period of time about a little longer than the history of the United States. Yeah, that kind of puts it in context for you. And I thought this week I'd give you a little bit of background about this, um, the manuscript. And by manuscript, I mean the actual copy of the words that we translate from. People may not be aware, but in terms of manuscript history for the record uh, of the book of Judges, the oldest Hebrew copy is from about the 900s AD. So if you follow the Hebrew language back, remember they were a persecuted minority, unable to really establish uh, their own museums or libraries or preserve those texts. So the oldest, if you were a student in college, here's another way to put it, in 1950, the oldest Hebrew text of the book of Judges would be from about the 900 ADs. So from 900 to 1300 BC, that's a lot of time. See how different that is than the New Testament. And from about the 400s, there's a copy of the Old Testament, the Septuagint in Greek. So the Greek translation was about 500 years older at that time, but that was 1950. And if you had a really good professor, he might have told you that something was happening in our knowledge of Bible text. Anybody know what happened in 1948? The Dead Sea Scrolls is a fascinating story, but they discovered in a variety of caves uh, to the northwest of Jerusalem, not far from the 
Dead Sea, they discovered a number of scrolls that were older than anything we'd ever found. This just happened in 1948. Those scrolls are now dated from about 050 AD to about 200 BC. It varies. They found a number of caves over the time. They found these scrolls. When I was a student in the mid-70s, we knew about the Dead Sea Scrolls, but scholars were sitting on them to try to preserve their career. Fascinating story about how they became generally available. Well, now we have copies the Old Testament, and the book of Judges that goes back an additional nine or 10 centuries, just from 1948 to now. There's four fragments, four portions of the book of Judges. The most recent was found in the year 2001. We have older texts to translate the book of Judges from than did the translators of the King James Version. Think about that. Isn't that a fascination? And what stands out, now you need to understand very clearly, if you take that Hebrew copy from 900 AD and you take the Dead Sea's copy in the Hebrew language from about 50 AD or 50 BC, it's about nine centuries. This one will not be a Xerox copy of that one. There will be some changes and differences. In one, it will be changes like in spelling color C-O-L-O-R, and in the other one, spelling color C-O-L-O-U-R. Not a big difference. Over 90% of the changes that you find across 900 years amount to that sort of thing. Now, I remember being taught at a very good church-related school that there was a long oral history, and it would be like the birthday party where you whisper into someone's ear a statement and you see what it becomes at the end, and they say, oh, it was like that. Well, I want to tell you, if you look at the archaeology across nine centuries, you'd have to say, eh, it wasn't like that. It's amazing to me, 2001, we now have a better, older text, as recently as that. These things are still developing, and, but I want you to see the difference, really, between the Old and the New Testament. The New Testament is different. You, I could take the book of Ephesians and Galatians. These were written about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's not long, particularly for us here. We can understand 30 years. Paul wrote it, and then we have a copy of what Paul wrote from less than a century. And you know what else? It's in Ann Arbor. If you'll go to the University of Michigan Library, there's extant copies, full copies of the book of Ephesians and Galatians, less than a hundred years from Paul's pen. Now, you know what makes the Scripture God's Word? It's not that amazing text. That is, what I've described to you is so different than Plato or Aristotle or any of the other writers of that time. It's dramatically different. But what makes this the Word of God is not that amazing text history, but it's the promise of God to meet us here. 
to take the broken lives of these Israelites we'll read about today, the lower story, and to speak to us of himself, who God is and what he's done. So hear the word of God. I'll be reading uh, from the introduction and the conclusion to the book of Judges. Hear God's word, beginning in Judges chapter 2. Now, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and also of the elders who outlived Joshua and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and they worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Think about that. Here's God's people. They go out to fight, and the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. Boy, there's an understatement. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was the judge and he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as that judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways, even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. And now to the last verse of the book. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your great love for us, that from your sovereign majesty, incomprehensible beyond our ability to know, you have spoken in to human language and human history. Holy Spirit, thank you that you oversaw the recording of these events, the laying out, And then in amazing ways, you preserve these texts across centuries. Just think from well before the time of Christ until the 1950s, we had no Hebrew text this old. So you preserved those, and now by your grace, we can, as it were, unroll the scroll, translate, pray, meditate, ponder. And so, at Holy Spirit, we ask that just as you began and preserved, so now you would complete your work. 
that you would illumine our hearts and minds to receive the good word that you have. Deliver your people from my own confusion and brokenness. Help them see in this sinner the hope of a Savior who himself alone is sufficient. Be with us this day, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. I'm in conversation with some friends this week. I was struck and I was so surprised by this, I went back and checked it myself. Not that I distrust my friends, of course. But there were over 107,000 deaths in the United States as a result of drug abuse last year. 107,000. You know what the seating capacity of the big house, you know, the football stadium in Ann Arbor? You know what that is? About 107,000. Did you see the football game last night? Last night in the stadium, University of Michigan plays Michigan State. Imagine what happened in 2021 would be like every person in that stadium died of drug overdose. Most of those deaths would be because of opioids. Most of those opioid deaths are because of fentanyl. Now, I was also struck, you know how many names are on the Vietnam Memorial Wall? How many soldiers, Americans died over the 20 years of Vietnam? About 58,000, not quite. Twice as many people died last year because of drugs as died in all of Vietnam. I want to suggest to you, something is wrong. Something is broken and it's costing lives. Something was wrong in Israel as well. You could say that about God's people in the book of Judges. Formed by the Lord's gracious promises and his covenant with Abraham. Led out of slavery by the Lord's chosen leader, Moses. Given divine direction on life. You remember the written law that they had, love God and love neighbor. That expresses itself in two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. And then everything else exposits and teaches about those. We talked about that one week. They were given that divine direction, a promise fulfilled after over 400 years of patience. (laughs) 400 years of patience. Don't think about that too long. The Lord's chosen leader, Joshua, brings them into the land. Now, ready to live out their vision of the good life here in the promised land with an abundant agricultural economy, Here with a book of law for good government, the rule of law. But what happens over the next three centuries? This book, Judges, documents that something is terribly wrong. There's these ups and downs, prosperity followed by oppression. It's a series of of cycles, good things, bad things, broken things, real things. Twelve cycles, some of them just a few verses in Judges. Others, like Samson, cover about three chapters. Twelve cycles overall, detailing what has broken down. Now, the structure 
of Judges covers these 12 cycles. And in the story this week, if you've read along, you would have read three different judges. The story of Deborah, a prophetess. She includes the story of a woman named Jael who put a tent peg through the head of the foreign general. That was in order to free Israel from King Jabed of the Canaanites. Imagine a tent peg through his head. Whoa. No wonder you want to be careful about what you read to your children. There's also the story of Gideon, unsure of himself, so God reduces his army. How do you like that for challenging your own insecurities? First, he's hiding as he works the grain. Then he gathers people who will find them, and God says, insecure, not a problem. I'll show you what I can do with even fewer. And then God gives him a torch and trumpet strategy and defeats the Midianites. Samson, a third judge, chosen before he was born. God had a purpose for him that he spoke to his father and to his mother. Samson is a man of great God-given physical strength, but he's also a man who had a total lack of anger control and a total lack of sexual propriety. These are three examples of the cycles that mark the life of God's people for these years and for their generations. And the book of Judges goes further because it analyzes what went wrong. Why did this happen again and again and again? They started with so much covenant, promises, deliverance, the law. And yet they find themselves in three centuries of ups and downs. The book of Judges gives us insight into the reason for this, this cycle of freedoms. And I want to talk about it. I want to help you see that Judges lays out the cause and the consequences and the solution. If it were a medical picture, it would be the disease, the symptom, and the treatment. See, and these things come together. There's a cause, but often it's the consequences that bother us. But in order to come up with a good solution, you have to be not only unhappy with the consequence, but with the cause. Do you see how that is? You've got to get the cause right, or you'll never understand the consequences or get the right solution. Judges says very clearly that the cause is idolatry. Let me read to you Judges 2, verse 11. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They forsook the the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the people around them. They blended into the culture. Well, this is what's accepted. They worshiped something else. And remember, idols are not just little statues that we go through religious behavior. Idols are the heart of the things we love. Idols of the heart are typically good things raised to the point of being an ultimate thing. Good things become ultimate. They drive our life. Those idols are a deep root and cause They cause the consequence of oppression. Again, verse 14, part of the text from this morning. And note as I read, who is the active one? Who is the one doing acts? 
Judges 2.14, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders. Who's active there? The Lord. It's the Lord who is acting. He gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. See, the, the, the problem was they were being plundered. That was the consequence of idolatry. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Oh, they couldn't win a military battle, but it wasn't for lack of weapons. That was a consequence. The cause was they loved something more than they loved the Lord. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. So there's a cause and there's a consequence, and God shows us a solution. And again, listen to who is active. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. There's a cause, idolatry, there's a consequence, oppression. And the solution is not a stronger revitalized economy. The solution is not a stronger, better equipped and trained army. The solution is not alliances. The solution is a rescuer, comes in the form of a judge. Listen to this summary in Judges 2, 18 and 19. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was, the Lord was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. That's the root. Judges says, of the cycles of ups and downs across three centuries of history. And it's important now to really think about the diagnosis. I gave you some wrong diagnoses. It was not that their army was weak. It was not that their economy wasn't strong. It was not that those pagan tribes were too powerful. You see, if it was about your military or the power of those pagan tribes, then the solution is a stronger military, right? If the solution is your economy isn't strong enough, then the solution is, if that's the problem, weak economy, then the solution is strengthen your economy. But when God says it's idolatry that leads to consequences, then the solution is God's rescuer. Over the past decade, I've had a good deal of contact and time to pray and to think about the opioid crisis. I've seen deaths. I've seen families impacted by death. I've read and studied. Probably the best single book I've read is called Dreamland by Sam Quinones. I highly recommend it, but I want you to read it with gospel eyes. What caused the opioid crisis and the death of as many Americans as could fit in the big house in one year? Well, there's a lot of causes, perhaps, a, a better living through chemistry perspective. There's actually the idea that if there's a problem, we can fix it by fixing the problem of physical pain. They would talk about that. We're going to fix the problem of physical pain. We'll develop Oxycontin. There was clearly unethical marketing practices. The one that most fascinated me, the drug cartels revamped their distribution 
approach. They realized that if they could just distribute heroin like Papa John's distributes pizzas, quick delivery of something delicious. So they forced their delivery people, don't carry weapons and don't use drugs. And suddenly the whole delivery piece of the puzzle worked out in a different way. Now, friends, if you look at the opioid crisis and say, gosh, these are consequences we don't like, and the cause is people figuring out how to deliver heroin, what are you gonna do? You're gonna disrupt the delivery chain. Or if you think the problem of the opioid crisis is unethical marketing, well, then you're gonna work to have ethical marketing. If you think that the opioid crisis is because we feel like we can fix the problem of physical pain through chemistry, then you're gonna look to regulate that. I wanna tell you something. Because there's so many component causes, it should push us back to ask something. Is there something deeper? What is it about a culture that creates a better living through chemistry? sort of thought? What is it about a culture that says it's so important to make money and the self-expression that brings wealth that we'll do it unethically? What is it about the lure of money that says we need to figure out how to sell these things more efficiently? Self-fulfillment through chemical research. Self-fulfillment regardless of the ethics leads to one year of double the deaths from Vietnam, from drug overdoses. I want to suggest to you, and Judges sets this out, get back to the root cause, not just some of the causes, but what caused the causes. If you really want to understand the consequences, because if you get the, the cause incorrect, you'll never get the right solution. I want to suggest to you, living among a people for whom the goal of life is self-fulfillment, self-expression, security through finances, better living through chemistry. Those life goals set up a chain of causes that leads to the consequences. What we see here in the book of Judges gives us insight into our own times. It's not so much about unethical marketing, though that's a problem. But where does the unethical marketing come from? It's not so much about thinking we can solve human problems through chemistry. Human problems are different. What's the cause? Friends, I wanna tell you, press back to the root and you'll see again an idolatry, a replacing of the Lord at center by finding our hope in ourselves. The book of Judges is about an upper story, the Lord himself set in a lower story, working among broken people. You look at um, Joshua and you see a good man, but there comes a generation after him that only knew the things of God, not God himself. And then you see a generation who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done. And in that collection of real broken people, suddenly we begin to see this cycle of brokenness. I want to tell you, the judges are not people that we should imitate their behaviors. 
Instead, we need to try to discern where the Lord is at work in the lives of broken people. There's a threefold story within the story of um, judges, and I would call it the soil of idolatry. It's as if there are three different ways that things begin to develop. I'm going to symbolize those with these three chairs. First of all, and we saw what's the cause of the consequences, here's the book of Judges' solution. They say there was a Joshua generation, Judges 2, 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. And as we saw two weeks ago, we know Joshua was a leader and a man who knew the Lord and knew what the Lord had done for Israel. He knew the Lord. He'd been effectively discipled. Joshua, as we saw two weeks ago, was not left to just discover himself. Joshua was not the personal expression of his authentic self. He was a man who'd been trained up with formative relationships. He'd spent time together with Moses, observing, listening, attempting. He was a man who was filled with the Spirit. He was a man who demonstrated character over time. He could face the challenges of life, not only with his own training, but with a heart that could hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. He could separate that voice from the voice of his own fear. I don't think they had pepperoni pizza, but you know how sometimes you eat something on Saturday night and on Sunday you think you're hearing something. He could discern between those things. He was a man, his generation both knew the Lord and they knew what the Lord had done. But then Judges go on, goes on to say in the second part of that verse that there came after them a generation that only knew the things that the Lord had done. The voice in the place of prayer that illumines the heart and guides everyday life has gone quiet. But we remember what God had done. We can apply the principles. And so there we are. Next, there comes a generation, and it says they neither knew the Lord nor what the Lord had done for Israel. And then the book of Judges takes off cycle upon cycle upon cycle upon cycle. A generation that knew the Lord and what he had done for Israel, they could tell the stories and they could get up the next morning prayerfully seek him, discern the voice in the midst of the confusion, and live in obedience. There comes a generation who, who know the facts and remember the stories, but they've forgotten the author. They've grown distant. It's been cold. And after that comes those who forget the stories. Look how my neighbors are living. Oh, here's an idea. Oh, that's not truly who I am. So you see, there comes a point, and Judges points its readers to this consideration. Where are you sitting? Now, friends, I, I always know in these moments to, to speak very clearly. I, I'm not trying to motivate people by guilt or by shame any more than a doctor may and Doctors can do their own thing. But, but ask yourself, what's the Spirit's diagnosis of my life? Where am I sitting? 
You know, it's very possible. The world is compelling in our day and time. We can see the world across the internet. We've got the biggest TVs ever created. And it becomes so easy to neither hear the Lord, neither know him in a personal way, or to forget what he's done. I want to encourage you, friends, wherever you find yourself sitting, take a step, move up a chair. Remember the things that the Lord has done. They're good. They're worth being faithful for, even when the world may not cheer you on. But to know what God has done and to call to memory those things, to look at a beautiful day and to say, this points to something bigger. Because, friends, there's an invitation to know the Lord. It was Jesus who said, my sheep hear my voice. As I've said, part of that means being a a sheep of Jesus, being in his flock, is being able to discern the difference between his voice and last night's pizza. Being able to hear that orphan voice that says, you're not good enough, Bill. You've fallen short. I need to discern that orphan voice. It's different from the voice of God that says, my dearly beloved, and whose spirit cries out in me, Abba, Father. It's easy to forget what the Lord has done. It's easy to be so busy with other things that we forget who God is and what he's done for his people. I've included in the sermon outline a a statement from the Gospel Transformation Study Bible Notes, the failures of both people and judges because the judges are no example, are so significant that they urge us to long for the hero who will never fail. His name is Jesus. And he went to the cross for me and for you. That's what breaks the cycle. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God and Father, we thank you for your great love. And we see in the nation of Israel our own struggles, our own ups and downs, our own coming and going. And yet we thank you for the good news that you yourself would enter into human history, take on a human form, and that you would go to the cross as our substitute, the full payment for our brokenness. Help us to set our lives into that and to live to your resurrection. That day by day, the gospel of Jesus might be more and more clearly seen in us, your people. That the world would know a hope and a love, a kindness, a gentleness, a hope bigger than any brokenness. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be with each of your people this day. Help us to carefully diagnose our own hearts, even if we do that in conversation with one another, but to diagnose our own hearts and Holy Spirit lead us one step, two steps. Move us forward by your grace, we pray. Hear our prayer for we make it in the name of Jesus who rescued us in his hope. Amen and amen. Martin Luther, one of the fascinating people of all history. When he was good, he was really good. When he was bad, you don't even want to think about it. But he knew of a savior bigger than him.
Let's stand and sing with the uh, words that uh, God inspired uh, Martin Luther to. It's hymn number 776, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Let us stand and sing. Paul's benediction from the book of Ephesians. Again, a copy of it just in Ann Arbor. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen and amen. Amen.